As we continue with the ministry of God's Word, turn with me to Exodus in the 19th chapter. Exodus 19 in verse 16, we'll be picking up mid-chapter where we left off last week. Stand together again for the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word, a living word, even Christ, who speaks to us. Verse 16, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that they were, there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon the mountain, on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Let also the priests who came near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Thus far, the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, as we approach you, as we come to hear you speak through your word, Father, we do marvel at how you speak to us, even as you did to your people of old though in a different manner. You have appointed that the preaching of the word through men that you have called, appointed, and gifted should be your vessels for the utterance of the scriptures. And Lord, what you have appointed, we do ask that you would bless. And that as you have called us, in some sense, uh, to your mountain, as we assemble in this place as your church, Lord, would we hear the voice of our God, not loud thunderings, as though the, to a people who are guilty. But indeed, the words of Christ, who speaks encouragement to us because of his completed work, that we can draw near, yes, with reverence and awe, but not trembling with terror, as the people of old did, only because of Christ, and all because of Christ. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin our worship service this morning, we had our call to worship from Psalm 96. But the command to us is God's people to sing to the Lord and bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, 
his wonders among all the peoples. And then the reason is given for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Our passage this morning shows us something of the greatness of our God. But there's a greater event that was shown on another mountain outside of Jerusalem when God spoke to the sun. And once again, there was a trembling, an earthquake. There was darkness as the Lord Jesus Christ hung between heaven and earth. This morning as we come into this text of Exodus, I want us to think back to the beginning of the book of Exodus. Remember hearing that Moses' life is a pattern of what will follow for Israel? Events took place in Moses' life. There was something of a pattern or a precursor of what would happen to Israel. Moses was delivered out of the river where Pharaoh had commanded all Hebrew male infants to be thrown. And then within five verses, rather remarkable, just five verses later from Moses' deliverance from the death, he is in the wilderness of Midian where he will meet with the Lord. Moses' deliverance out of the river points forward to Israel's deliverance. Moses was delivered out of the waters of the Nile. Israel was delivered by crossing over the sea. Moses was brought into the wilderness where God met with him. As Dr. Michael Morales puts it, God met with him, quote, with his fearful, burning presence, close quote. And now we find Israel at the mountain of God where they will encounter the, quote, fearful, burning presence of God, close quote. This is what Moses was told back in Exodus 3. When he was had this encounter with God at the bush that burned and that was not consumed, God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, it's a plural y'all, all of them, shall serve, that is, worship God on this mountain. And here we are. Moses called from being a shepherd to go and lead God's people out of the house of bondage. God has now placed him in the role of mediator. We saw something of that all along, but it's particularly in the earlier part of this chapter. He's the mediator between the Lord of glory and the children of Abraham. To be effective in the role of mediator, it was necessary for Moses to walk the same path that he would later lead his people on. Christ also has walked a path as our mediator that he later leads us on. Moses thus points us to the greater mediator between God and sinful man, our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't often think of it. Christ walked the Exodus pattern death, the grave, resurrection, and ascension into the presence of his Father, therefore opening the way for all who believe on him to come into the presence, into the glory of God in heaven forevermore. So our theme this morning is that we see God, this thrice holy God, and see him as he, as he is, terrifying to behold, majestic in awe and wonder and majesty. But we see that we can approach him because we have a Redeemer. More than that, we can dwell with him. We shall dwell with him because 
of our mediator. Indeed, the exodus motif here will ultimately be completed when we dwell in heaven with our God, even through the mediation of Christ. We use four main headings this morning. Looking at this text, we'll see the evidence of the Lord's presence, then the voice of the Lord, and a warning to the people because the Lord is holy. Something they don't really grasp. And there's stress to them. And then we're going to close with seeing how our great high priest has opened the way for us into the holy of holies. Not the one in the tabernacle or the temple, but even into heaven. Something greater than the Garden of Eden, where we will dwell forevermore. So we begin with the evidence of the Lord's presence. We've seen Moses as the mediator between God and Israel. In the passage we read, this just becomes very clear. God's on the top of the mountain, and the people are at the foot of the mountain. Uh, they're, they're, even allowed, uh, they're not even allowed to touch the foot of the mountain. They have to stand just off the base, as it were. And as mediator, Moses is shown ascending and descending the mountain. He's going from the people to God and from God back to the people. We will see a parallel of this again when we get to chapter 24. It's interesting. Chapter 19 reports that Moses descended seven times. Chapter 24 reports that Moses ascended seven times. And as we already heard last week, Moses descends to the people to tell them what God has said. And then Moses ascends back to God to tell him what the people's response was. Not because God didn't know, but indeed showing this role and function of the mediator, pointing clearly to Christ, something that Moses will prophesy about in, the Deuteron in Deuteronomy when he says, God will raise up from among you one greater than I. And indeed, Moses stands out in the Old Testament as the greatest of all men that God chose to use. And he says, there will be one greater than I. And we know that to be the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the people have been warned, we saw that in the earlier part of this chapter, and boundaries have been set around the base. We don't know if Moses would have put up some sort of fence or uh, if flags were set to show the people what the limit was, but some sort of boundary has been set there for the people to see. And why? Well, the people have been told that God's going to come down on the mountain, and thus the mountain will be holy. The people were told to prepare themselves. So in two days, there was the washing of their clothes and some other matters of preparations. And now, as we begin in verse 16, the third day has arrived. They've had their two days of preparation. The third day has arrived, and God's presence is made known to them. Verse 16, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that the people who were in the camp trembled. It must have been an incredible sound of the trumpet. This is not something that uh, a man was sounding. It's not a, a, a ram's horn, a shofar, as it's called in the Hebrew. This, this is angels of God blowing trumpets. We find this in the book of Revelation and other places as well. These trumpets that are being sounded announcing the reality of the King of glory, the great God over all who has come down. And the sound of the trumpet blast was such that even that, the people trembled. The whole of it was shown to them and experienced by them and heard by them, even felt by them to communicate 
the majesty and the greatness of God. The time the people were then to experience a theophany. Children, a theophany is, is a name that theologians have come up with that Theo is the Greek word that speaks of God. Theophany is that God is making himself, his presence known. Remember, God is a spirit, and he does not have a body like men. And yet, he is very real. He is a person. Even now, he is near to every one of us. Isn't that a remarkable thing? We are in the presence of God. We gather for worship and we come into the very presence of God. And thus we are instructed, not only from the Old, but the New Testament, to prepare to come to worship. We come into the presence of this same God who made the mountain tremble and who made himself evident with smoke and trumpet blast. And I dare say if if we had a similar experience, we would have trembled. But why are we not trembling? Why is there not this... A display, this theophany of majesty and glory and even terror that the children of Israel experience. Well, it's, we're on this side of the cross. It's because the greater mediator has come and he brings us as a people washed, cleansed, and forgiven into the presence of God. But my friends, we must never lose sight. We must never lose from our hearts the sense of reverence and awe. This God that we're hearing about, who came down on Mount Sinai, is the same God that we are here to worship. It's a, it's a sober thing. I'll use that word that I've encouraged us to be careful to use wisely. It is awesome that we can assemble in the presence of God without this great terror. Yet God is no less than he was then. So there's this theophany, this manifestations of the presence of God. And, and what did it look like? What was the evidence that God gave that he was present on the mountaintop? We're told in the text there was thunderings and lightnings, flashes of lightning. A thick cloud covered the mountain. And then we're told that there was a very long sound of the trumpet. Verse 18 tells us some more that what we see in 16 seems to escalate. The mountain was completely in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. A furnace has a blast. Some of you, many of you have fireplaces. Children, you know what it's like when your father is getting the fire going? Have you been in somebody's home where they have a, a wood stove and and you open up the draft that lets more air in, and the fire that that simmers in there's just, and it can even roar. It gets fed that oxygen. This is like the furnace. This is what Moses is using it as an image. It's like the furnace. Some translations talk about the furnace kiln as the fire is stoked and that oxygen becomes incredibly hot. One commentator suggested that what we're seeing here on this mountain is something like a volcanic eruption. The smoke and fire going up with tremendous effect and even the trembling of the mountain. All as manifestations that God has come down to meet with his people. The word that's used for the mountain trembling is the same one that was used in verse 16 to talk about the people trembling. All the creation trembles at the appearance of the Almighty. Let us again remember that at the cross, 
is God comes down and visits judgment upon the Son of Man, the God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, that once again the earth trembled at the presence of God. This Christ hung between heaven and earth bore the wrath of God for our sins. The presence of God made evidence that day in the deep darkness and the trembling of the earth with an earthquake. One of the other things that we see in this passage is something we've seen through the book of Exodus. Remember the book of Exodus, that one of the great themes, one of the overarching themes is God the Lord, the covenant faithful God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and of his people, our covenant faithful God, is making himself known. And how has he done, how has he done that? Well, we've seen it and demonstrate that all of creation is under his dominion. You know, the different plagues that have come in various fields, you know, whether it's the weather, the hail, and lightnings, or it's the plagues of insects or frogs or turning water into blood, all of these manifest that God is God over all. And here again you see this, that the all of creation trembles at his presence. Though a sinful man will deny even the existence of God, the creation does not. When its creator comes down, creation responds. God is present. And he is majestic. This is true. Many of these things are true. When God made the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, we're told that God's presence was made known to Abraham. He had prepared animals, dividing them in half, sitting birds on opposite side, and then we're told that Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and then God made his presence known, a theophany. God was present there with Abraham as he made the covenant with Abraham. And what did, what, what did Abraham see? God made his presence known by a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the halves of the animals. Moses' attention then was captured when God met with him in the wilderness. So he was a shepherd. And we're told he was on the backside of the wilderness of Midian. And he sees a sight that captures attention. He sees a bush burning. And though burning, it's not consumed. It just burns on. And he turns aside to see what it is. God has made his presence known to Israel already by the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. So cloud and fire are already manifestations of God's presence. Israel was led out of Egypt. You remember how when the armies of Egypt came out after them, that the cloud went between them, the Israelites, and Egypt to protect the people before they crossed over the sea. Later on, Moses will preach to the second generation that will actually enter the land. Deuteronomy 4, he tells the people, that second generation, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then he will encourage the people as they prepare to cross the river Jordan to possess the land. Moses will say, Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. And he will destroy them, that is the nations in the land. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. This event prepares them for that event. God is a consuming fire. Verse 17 then tells us while this was happening, 
God, Moses brings the people out. Can you imagine that? You see this sight, this mountain that is trembling, a trumpet that is blasting loud and growing louder and louder. There's smoke on the mountain and now fire. And Moses leads the people to come out from the camp, to leave the camp and come out to the foot of the mountain. You see what the mediator is doing? He's bringing the people to God, to the very limits of what God has allowed them to come. Moses, great mediator, even in that shows us Christ. Our mediator, the very one who brings us out of the world, out of sin, out of iniquity, out of the death that we are in because of sin. And he brings us to God, even as we are this morning. Christ, our mediator, brings us into the presence of our God, that we might worship him in spirit and in truth. So I was reflecting on what's happened here. Moses leading the people out. That would be the most terrifying experience. Just think for a moment. This mountain is trembling. Fire and smoke are upon it. There's this blast of trumpet that grows louder and louder. What would be your inclination to do? Run away in fear. Moses said, no. Come. Come to the foot of the mountain. Come to your God. For this is why God has brought them out of Egypt, that they may serve, that is, worship him. And so they are brought near to God. The language is here in verse 18, like a furnace. The Hebrew, the Hebrew for this, uh, it occurs one other place in the Bible. And it's in Genesis 19 where we hear about God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The fire of God is a consuming fire. The peoples of that valley, in those towns were destroyed by the fire of God. And it was said that it was like a furnace. It's a picture of God's judgment. And this display was right before God giving his law. It's the very next chapter. People are going to hear God speak the law from the mountain to them. And the reality is, the people who would break God's law will receive judgment. God is a consuming fire. Today, even in the church, there's an attitude that's cavalier, calloused, even indifferent, careless about God. God has not changed. God's judgment towards lawbreakers is extreme. The fire and the smoke and the trembling are only but a foreshadowing of what the lake of fire will be like, what God's eternal wrath for all eternity, for the lawbreakers who have no mediator with the holy God of heaven. People who live their life and die without Christ. Well, no, this judgment, this wrath, this sign of the majesty and the holiness and the terror and the fierce anger of God for those who would break His law. Blessed be God for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has endured that so that we shall never know that. So God brings them out. Before we move on, just consider some application. We've gathered here in this place to meet this morning. Our God and our Father has summoned us. He's called us to worship. But look around. Do you see smoke? Is there fire anywhere? Do you hear the blast of a trumpet? Does the 
floor tremble underneath us because of the presence of our God? Why is our experience so different? The answer is Christ. Jesus Christ has undertaken to stand in our place. As the Puritans used to put it, He has entered into our room. And He has borne the wrath of God that we would justly receive. It's already completed. It's finished at the cross. And it was clearly declared and demonstrated in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the third morning. We gather and draw near. But let us not forget, God has not changed. He is holy, holy, holy. We should approach Him with reverence and awe. He has not changed. He's the, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let us guard ourselves from indifference. Let us not treat this gathering of corporate worship as some matter to be taken up or laid aside. The Lord has called us to meet with Him on the beginning of the week, the first day of the week, to come together with His people to worship. We're greatly encouraged to come because of Christ. But we do draw, indeed we must draw near with reverence and with awe. Well, there's further evidence, greater evidence of God's presence. And it's in the voice of the Lord, our second point. In the midst of this terrifying event, while this is going on, Moses brought the people out from the camp to stand at the foot of the mountain. God then has a conversation. God speaks to Moses so the people hear that. He addresses Moses in the presence of the people. Surely this elevates Moses in the eyes of the people. This is what God said he would do back in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. And so now God speaks as the people are at the mountain. He speaks to them. Moses will preach on this this very event again to the next generation, Deuteronomy, the redeclaring of the whole matter. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, we hear Moses speaking to the children of that generation who have not died in the wilderness, and he recounts what happened for their benefit. For what great nation is there that God is so near to it? As the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him, and what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in the law which is I set before you this day? This is a precursor. Moses is about to tell them the law again in chapter 5 as we have it. He says then to them, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren especially concerning the day that I stood before the Lord your God in Horeb another name for Mount Sinai when the people said to me when the Lord said to me gather the people to me and I will then let and let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days of their life that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children 
Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of the heaven with darkness, darkness and cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, but you, but the, you heard the sound. Sorry, no, but you heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. You only heard a voice. God spoke to them out of the mountain. God. We will not make images of God. There is no image that we can make of God, but we are to hear His voice. And God continues to declare that. We hear His voice through the faithful preaching of His Word by the man of God, called out by a God, gifted by God, given as a gift to the church. As the New Testament speaks of that office. Remember the theme of Exodus is making the Lord known. And what did he do? How did he make himself known? Was, was it in the fire and the smoke? Remember, Elijah had an encounter at Mount Horeb with God, and there's fire and thunder and a, and a, and a great wind that goes by, but it was when God spoke that Elijah made himself, I mean that God made himself known to Elijah and encouraged his, or encouraged his prophet in his discouragement. The Lord makes himself known. You know, if you were asked the question, Hearing this passage, children, maybe you're you're thinking about that. Somebody said, "How did God make Himself known?" You might say, "Well, it was the opening, the fire, and the smoke." Well, there's some element of truth, but God really made Himself known when He spoke. I've seen fire and smoke; those those are experiences. Even as the references, it's like the fire of a furnace. You might encounter the fire of furnace, and you'd be wrong to conclude well then that the Lord is there. What makes it clear that the Lord is there is He speaks. And who is the Word of God? It is the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and He was with God, and He was God. This Word that they hear ultimately is Christ, the pre-incarnate Son of God, speaking the words of the Father. And what are the words that the people are about to hear? Well, it's the next chapter, the Ten Commandments. The law reveals God. It reveals His character. It reveals His holiness. It reveals His standard of living for His people. A people who are redeemed. That's, we hear that with the preface. I have brought you out. These are a redeemed people. And God then tells them how they ought to live as a redeemed people. Not so that they will be redeemed, but as a redeemed people. And that's how we approach the law week by week. We're reminded that as a redeemed people, we are to keep this law. We're reminded that we have broken it. And that we are drawn to our Savior in whom we have forgiveness, and cleansing, removal of all our guilt and stain because of what Christ accomplished at the cross. The law reveals then what sin is in contrast to what righteousness is. Our God is not silent. From the beginning He spoke. And his voice went forth and created all things. In the course of six days, by the power of his voice, God's mouth spoke and he created all things out of nothing in the space of six days. Now we hear the voice of God. It's the gospel message is the voice of God. This is what Paul says in Romans 10. You look over at Romans 10, beginning in verse 14, we hear these same things about the voice of our God. Romans 10, beginning up in verse 14, 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear him without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, the sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. We hear God in the preaching of his gospel. We still hear the voice of God when we read the scriptures respectfully, prayerfully. Surely we should begin, Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who inspired holy men of old to write these words. Now speak to my heart. Apply these things to my heart. Grant me understanding that I would hear the voice of my God. Recently we've been encouraged. I think I've said it even from the pulpit. When you're reading the scriptures, try reading it out loud. Not to be loud and proclaim a sermon the house hears, but read it out loud so your ears are hearing. You're hearing the Word of God as you read it in your own private reading for your own encouragement and edification and growth and holiness. Well, in the midst of this, God speaking the voice with a voice to Moses will know more what he says as we move along. We come to our third point. Moses is told to warn the people because God is holy. Remember Moses' first encounter. He's herding sheep and he sees the bush burning. He draws near to see what is going on here. What is this oddity, this, this thing that seems to be impossible, a bush that burns and yet's not consumed? And then out of the, the bush he hears a voice. Moses, take off your sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy. God's presence was there. Take off your sandals. You stand on holy ground. And so it is when God came down on the mountain. The mountain was holy. And the people had been warned back in verses 12 through 13 as we have it. They've been warned. God spoke to Moses. Moses went to the people. He warned them not to come near. Notice how serious it was. And you shall set bounds, verse 12, before all, all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain of the, or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. God is holy. And for these people to come on the mountain was to be cause for death. Capital punishment. But now God was there. In the presence of him, this theophany of the presence of God was a sight to behold. And God, knowing what was in the heart of man, look at what verse 21 says. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people. So Moses has gone up. And God says to him, go down and warn the people lest they break through. Why? To gaze at the Lord. And many of them perish. It's forbidden for them to go out upon the holy mountain. You see, this is one of the distinctions between the 
old administration of the covenant and the new administration. Here we are in the presence of God. They were not permitted to come up. Moses alone went up and down the mountain as the Lord directed him. Moses, picture of the mediator, the God said, warn the people. And I find it interesting how Moses responds in that situation. God, knowing that the curiosity may capture many, because he says many may perish, many of the people would break through, they would cross over the boundary, would go up the mountain desiring to gaze upon God. You hear that? Don't even dare to think you would not have had that curiosity. It's in us. It's one of the reasons we have the second commandment, not making an image. There's something within our hearts as sinners that we desire to, to satisfy our desire to look, to see. And God has said to hear my voice. It's through the preaching of the word that God reveals himself to the sons of Adam. It was looking that got Eve into trouble. She looked and beheld it was desirable to look upon the forbidden fruit and desirable to eat, and she did take and eat. God knows the people he sends Moses back down with an express commandment that the people not come through. And then he also adds, verse 22, And let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Now here's... I remember reading this, preparing for the sermon. I made myself a note. The priest? Question mark. We, we haven't heard anything about Aaron's household and his descendants being priests. We can come to that. Well, the answer is the word in the Hebrew, as many Hebrew words are, um, are used in a multitude of places, multitude of ways. It, this word can be translated priest, but it also refers to principal officers or rulers. And what do we see in the previous chapter? Such men were set aside to be rulers, judges amongst the people. And God is speaking to them. It would have been helpful if the translators of the New King James had taken that account. It would not have been a mistranslation to call them the rulers or the elders or the judges. And God says, there's specific rules for these people. They, they can't come up. They must be consecrated. Just because they have this special office, they cannot come up. They must also consecrate themselves. So what? The Lord will break out against them. It's a sober thing. Remember the account of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10? The tabernacle's built, and God's given instructions for all these different things. And Aaron and his sons have been set aside to be priests to the Lord. And Nadab and Abihu, they take up strange fire. Remember, God sends fire down from heaven onto the altar to consume the sacrifice. God has supplied heavenly fire. And Nadab and Abihu get strange fire, fire from somewhere else for their censers to burn incense in the presence of God. And God breaks out with fire and kills them. This is the same idea. That the, these leaders must consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. Again, all this is showing us the majesty the holiness, the greatness of God. God is completely other. That's what holy means. He's unlike us. He's separate. God is not made in our image. We are made in His image. And we are a reflection of Him. He is far greater than we are. He is an infinitely holy God. And so, 
It's, it's, this is interesting. In verse 23, God tells him these things. And then Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. It's like Moses saying, I've, I've already done this. I've addressed this. I've talked to the people. I've warned the people. I've set up a boundary. You see, the mediator, arguing he's been faithful, but God presses Moses. Because the people will break through. They will do what God has not authorized them to do. Just why they have application considered. This is one of the great problems in the evangelical church today. We have people doing things in worship that God has not appointed for them to do. God has given gifts to certain men and given them as gifts to the church to lead the church in worship. It's not just anyone that can do anything in worship. We gather as an assembly, but there are only those whom God has appointed that should lead us in worship. There are those who break through, as it were, to do what God has not authorized them. And so God sternly commands Moses to go down. Depending on your translation, the New King James says, away. Other translations render, go, go down. Either way, it's emphatic. Is, is Moses arguing with God? I think Moses' response is, Lord, I've been faithful. As your mediator, I've done this. But God is mindful of what's happening in the camp. He's God. He knows all things. Moses is up there with God, and God knows that he needs to send Moses down. Moses goes down. And he gives him further instruction. Get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests or the rulers and the people break through to come up to the Lord, again, lest he break out against them. Do you see the grand message of this passage? God is holy. God is a consuming fire. And so Moses obeys. He goes down to get to warn the people once again, and he gets Aaron to come up. God speaks the law in the next chapter which we'll pick up with when I return from sabbatical, we will see and hear what God spoke to the people. But we have one more point. And we've, we've, made, we've been, I've been alluding, I've been, no, I've not been alluding, I've already been declaring this to you. But I want to wrap up with this as we consider our great high priest who's opened the way into the Holy of Holies. I don't know about you, but reading and preaching this passage has raised my view of the holiness of God. It has sharpened my senses. It has made me more mindful of my utter unworthiness. But, or let me say, and, it has given me a greater appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. What he's accomplished. But greater gratitude for what Christ has accomplished on the cross. That we, we don't approach God this way. This is not how we meet God. God is the same. He has not changed. And yet, because of Christ, and only because of Christ, we draw near to God. And, and there's no smoke and fire and, and furnace uh, flames and, and the trembling and the, and the long blast of trumpets terrifying us. Jesus Christ is silenced the law's loud thunder. And we are brought near to God. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews is uh, one of those Christ-filled sermons 
in the scripture. It's one of the most extended sermons, too. Perhaps even the whole of the sermon of the original author. But Hebrews 12, and picking up in verse 18, the author says to the church, these are largely Hebrew Christians who are being tempted to go back to the ways of the Old Covenant, back to the temple and the sacrificial system, to all these things. And the author is saying, no, no, no. There, there remains no other sacrifice besides Christ. In verse 18 he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to the blackness and the darkness in tempest. Is this Exodus 19? It's exactly what it is he's talking about. Or to the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged, as we'll see later on, begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you, this is to the church in Christ, but you have come to, the Mount, to, to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to, a, uh, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they do not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth but also the heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I will not preach the text we've just read I think he speaks clearly enough. But we wouldn't, I wanted you to listen to it in the light of Exodus 19. What has changed? We draw near in Christ. We come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We're using very deliberate language. We come to the Father by the Son through the Holy Spirit. Because the Son of God was incarnate. Because he humbled himself. And he took on human flesh because the Son of God did and said everything that the Father showed him to do and told him to say. We saw that so clearly in John's Gospel. Because the Son of God went to the cross bearing our seeds, sins and received the full measure of God's wrath for them and died and was buried. Because the Son of God arose triumphant over sin, death, and the grave and Satan. It was not possible that they should constrain him because the Son of God has ascended to the right hand of the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us. Every sinner that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ 
shall be saved. Jesus has torn the veil between us and the infinitely holy God. Jesus has not only paid our sin debt, but his righteousness has been placed on our account. Our sins are forgiven. Our guilt is removed. The stain of sin has been washed away, though it was this crimson and this weird now white as a driven snow. Washed by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has completed all that is necessary so that we can come home to the Father. So that we can complete the exodus and return to full, unhindered access to the thrice holy God. Jesus brings us as pilgrims out of the world to the mountain of God, home to be with God, the God who is our Father because we are adopted by Him in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are brought into His family forevermore. Hallelujah. What a Savior. There is no other like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. O Lord our God, we marvel as we read these things of old. We thank you that through the preaching of the word we can we can grasp in some sense the the moment that the terrifying moment for the children of Israel as you came down upon the mountain displaying your majesty. We hear of it and we need to hear of it and it, it reminds us in here in the twenty first century when we are far removed from these events and yet you are not any different. You are the same holy, terrifying God. And indeed, those who are apart from Christ, they will see you with this tear. They will stand before you in tremble. No, they will not stand in the assembly of the righteous, but they will fall before you prostrate, crying out for the mountains to fall on them and to cover them from the presence of the infinitely holy God. And, oh, Lord God, we bless you that we will not be in that number because we are clothed in Christ. We have a mediator, even now, who brings us when we gather for worship, who mediates for us when we cry out in prayer in our daily lives. Oh, Lord God, teach us to cry out to you, Father, through your Son, by the Holy Spirit, so that we would live as we are, children of the Father, a special people, Oh, God, you have shown us such great favor. And you have freely given us salvation in your Son. We bless you and praise you. And for this reason, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing from our hymnals.